Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Our Womanity. I have gotten a few requests to go over some basic female anatomy. Um, you know, genitals, private parts, whatever you want to say. I want to try to teach you the correct anatomical terms so that you are equipped with them, so that you understand, and if you need to share it with somebody else, they understand as well. So let's take our time and kind of go through everything. I've got a little model here that is going to show us all the different layers, but this is first, we're going to work from the outside in. So first, starting from the outside, this is the top. So imagine this is all skin covering here because we're already seeing the muscle, muscle layers and the bone layers, but the skin that you see protruding here, these small sort of wings are called labia minora. Some women have very long labia minora and they can kind of stick together or they kind of, you know, move around. They're mobile, but they're usually pretty thin. Um, some women really don't have much labia minora at all. They can be very short or really not even visible or present. And this does change with time. We know that as women age, labia minora actually shrink. And then there are also some dermatological conditions that make the labia minora shrink even without, you know, age. Um, specifically lichen sclerosis. That's one of the tips. If you've got um, symptoms or you're just seeing that your labia are shrinking and you're not going through menopause, it might be a reason to see your gynecologist. It's also why you need to kind of know how things look, right? Because you need to know if there's a change. Because we don't look at the vulva every day, I mean, we can't tell if there's changes. So I would recommend look at, you know, when you think about it, at least once a month, take a look at yourself. Okay. <clears throat> On the outside are larger labia, which are not really depicted here, but they're kind of like the fat pads of the vulva. And we call those labia majora. So labia in Latin are lips, right? So we've got labia minora, the small lips, and labia majora, the thicker lips. And that's really what's keeping you comfortable when you're sitting. You have a fat pad there. You've got muscle underneath the bulbocavernosis. And also these do change with time too. I have patients who tell me they feel like things are kind of deflating or they lose some collagen in that area. It's all part of life. <laughs> okay. So right above, we have the glands of the clitoris. That's that little bulb there and the hood of the clitoris. Now this hood can be retracted. It should be mobile so that you can see the glands underneath, but it's still hard to see the entire glands. It's literally like a little ball um, or pea, but um, you should be able to move this hood. If you cannot move the hood and you can't see the glands, you might have something called clitoral phimosis, another reason to see your gynecologist. Um, but it's that also might just be kind of normal for you. Just take a look. Like I said, know what your baseline is so that you know. Some people have a slightly smaller visible glands. Some people have a slightly larger visible glands. There are different things that can cause problems here. You can get sort of debris that's magma stuff can turn into keratin pearls and that can really hurt. Um, again, lichen sclerosis can affect this part of the body. So it's just another good thing to be aware of if you're noticing a change. If you go straight down, but inside the lips of the minora, so a person who has longer labia minora would have to actually spread to be able to see, that is the urethra. The urethra is the opening of the bladder. It is usually about three centimeters long and it's going straight back into the bladder. And I'll show you the inside of that shortly, um, but that's the opening and that's where the pee comes out, right? So people notice changes with their urinary stream over time. That's all because of the urethra. 
We see that with the lack of estrogen as people are going through menopause, stream might change. You can also get pain with urination. You might have an infection that would tip you off from that. You could have a diverticulum or a stone that forms around the urethra. It's a really tiny part of the body, but it's one of the most important because it has the sphincter that keeps your urine inside your bladder when you're not trying to pee. This is where people end up having stress urinary incontinence, start leaking when they're not intending to, or when they cough, sneeze, or go from sitting to standing position, because that valve, that sphincter, which is inside the urethra, is not as strong as it used to be, or something has happened to cause it to degenerate, or maybe it could be injured. We do see that sometimes too. Okay, farther down is the vagina, right? The vagina is literally the canal. It is the opening and the canal, but it's not this whole thing. It's only that one part, right? That's one of the mistakes that we always make is that this is, you know, calling all of this the vagina, but really only that one part is the vagina. The vagina, it has a mucosal layer, so it is usually smooth and moist. It also does change with time and it changes with hormone fluctuation. So anytime that a person is low on estrogen, like if they're breastfeeding postpartum or if they're going through menopause, things will become more dry, the blood supply changes, the tissue becomes a little bit more fragile, and that's when people start having pain with sex. We usually treat that with vaginal estrogen because we want to bring that hormone back in. Now, the opening to the vagina right around here, going up towards the urethra, is called the vestibule. Vestibule is a word for like a a doorway, right? Like the vestibule of a church. It's really the entrance. And this area is important to know because we have patients who have vestibulodynia or pain literally right at this entrance. They know that they have pain there or they have problems there because they have a hard time inserting tampons. They have a hard time with penetrative sex. This can be because of nerves, this can be because of hormones, and it actually can be because of can be due to muscles inside the pelvic floor, which I'll show you. But it's important to know the vestibule is its own entity, and it is rich in testosterone receptors. So the estrogen will help the inside of the vagina, but you actually need androgens like a testosterone to help with the vestibule if you're having problems there. Um, Just to give you the full picture, this is the anus, right? This is where stool is coming out, goes back into the rectum. But all these muscles are your pelvic floor muscles. And one thing I would like to point out, these are so important and so strong. You need them to be strong because this is one part of your body where usually we're in this position. And so gravity is pushing your bowels and everything else down. And you don't have any bones there to keep things inside. So you only have muscles. Those muscles are what's keeping everything inside. So women who end up with um, pelvic organ prolapse or issues with their pelvic floor, it's usually because these muscles are starting to weaken. And we see that with some people who have more genetic tendency, maybe after multiple childbirths. There's lots of reasons, but it's because of the muscles. And you can appreciate now we've got bony pelvis everywhere else. You know, even our skulls are protected by bones, you know, it's bone protecting our brain, but this huge part of our body, this outlet has no bones there. It's just muscle. So before I go to the inside, I'll give you a little bit more of an idea of the clitoris. So this is a model I got from an Ishwish conference last year to give you the underlying view of the clitoris. Again, that's that glands, the bulb, which is what you usually can see. And if you can't see it because the hood is not retractable, you might want to ask your gynecologist about that. If you feel like this is very large, you may have clitoromegaly. We see that with testosterone treatment. If that's what you don't want, then talk to someone about it because uh, you could have something that's giving you more 
testosterone and causing that. There are some different conditions that that could be a sign of. But I want to show you this because this is all not visible, but it shows you the complex structure of the clitoris. You have these cura here or the legs of the clitoris full of nerve fibers. And then you have the bulbs that actually are what engorges with arousal. So although you only see this little bulb, there's a ton of nerves back here and a whole complex system. So I just want to show that to you before moving on. Hi friends. I'm here to remind you to subscribe and like to the podcast. I love doing this. I love bringing people on, but I need to know if you're actually listening to me. I get no feedback out here. So I know things are going out and then suddenly I'll talk to someone and they say, oh yeah, I love your podcast. It's awesome. I'm like, oh, I didn't even know you were listening. So if you want to stay in the know, you want to get notified when new episodes come back, please, please, please subscribe and like. I love the We Can Do Hard Things podcast. So I'm going to show you as an example, go into your podcast and you just in the upper right corner, you press the plus sign and it turns to a check mark and then you're subscribing. And then of course you can like it. Um, five stars, of course, right? If you can, please. And, um, if you use Spotify, if you use Zencast or whatever you use, it's fine. Just please subscribe and like, thank you. All right. So back to our pelvis. Um, of course the bony pelvis is super important. You know, after childbirth or even with pregnancy, people get pain with their pubic symphysis as this can actually stretch as the uterus is enlarging. How does that happen? Well, let me show you what's going on inside here. This is actually quite compact. You know, people talk about different issues affecting one another. This is the bladder. This is the uterus and this is the rectum. They are so close together. There's not a lot of real estate in this area. So if you have ovarian cysts, if you have bladder tumors, if you've got IBS, if you've got anything on one of these three organs, they may affect the other. Endometriosis is another great example that if you've got something in one area, it's very likely going to affect the other because of how interrelated they are, because of how close they are, and also because of the way the pelvic floor muscles are keeping them all in place. And so I'll show you that as we take them all out. So to start here at the uterus, this is right in the middle. It's coming from the top of the vagina. This is supposed to be the canal of the vagina that went down into the opening of the vagina that we saw below. And if you think about the uterus being right above the vagina, the cervix actually is coming in at the very top of the vagina. So when you go to your gynecologist for a pap smear, why is it so uncomfortable? Well, because we are putting the speculum into this small canal so that we can get to the very top and see the face of the cervix, which is right here. We're trying to get this view. All right. It's not easy. And oftentimes the uterus is pointing down like that. So it's very tricky to get the face of the cervix to point towards us because then we're using this little spatula to kind of scrape the cells from the face of the cervix going all along the os of the cervix, which is the opening into the uterus and around the entire cervix. And so that's where we're getting our cells to do pap smears to see if there's any HPV related changes, any cervical issues like cervical cancer or precancers. Okay. So the uterus is a super strong muscle. This actually, it can be just about this small for a woman who's not pregnant, about six centimeters, four to six is pretty average, but it will get larger if there are fibroids. 
if there's adenomyosis, which makes the muscle get a little bit spongier and bigger, it definitely gets bigger with pregnancy. And so you can imagine with this little uterus being in this pelvis, nothing else is changing shape. So it's going to start pressing on everything else, right? So how many of my patients that I've done a hysterectomy for who had fibroids told me how much better their bladder feels afterwards? We can't always guarantee that that's going to happen, but it's nice when it does. Fallopian tubes are attached to the uterus at the top here, and they kind of are mobile. This model is showing them towards the back, but they really do kind of swing around like arms. So I have patients who get ultrasounds and they say, well, why can't they see the tube on my right? How come they thought the cyst was on my right, but it's on the left? That's because this stuff kind of just moves freely within the pelvis. And so it's easy to kind of get it mixed up if you're looking at it with just ultrasound. But this is supposed to detect the fimbriated ends of the fallopian tube, which actually is pulling up the, the eggs from the ovaries. So here's the ovary. The ovaries are attached to the uterus through this ligament here, uterovarian ligament, has blood vessels in it too. The ovary is right in here full of eggs. And every month when an egg is released, either from this side or this side, and it's totally random which side is goes each month, then the fimbria, these little like fronds from the end of the fallopian tube, pick up the egg and the egg travels through the tube, literally just rolling, 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 rolling until it gets into the uterus. Of course, if you have an ectopic pregnancy, what does that mean? That means that the sperm found the egg while it was still in the tube and it started to grow in the tube and that's life-threatening um, emergency. So here's the ovaries, fallopian tubes. This is all from the back. I'm going to show you from the inside. Inside the tube, the tube leads right on, on each side, the left and the right. The tube has an opening that goes into the uterus. So how does pregnancy work? An egg comes in. It's hopefully fertilized at some point along this way if you're trying to get pregnant. Hopefully it's not fertilized if you're not trying to get pregnant. <laughs> and then it finds a place. This is the endometrial lining. You'll hear your healthcare providers talk about an endometrial lining. It finds a place along here to implant and grow. And so this is the lining that is built up through a person's cycle each month through hormone changes that increase the, I think of it kind of like soil where an egg is going to be planted or implanted. But that lining becomes thicker as the month goes on or your cycle goes on and it's getting ready to basically be fertile ground for an egg that's fertilized to grow. And if it doesn't grow, your body realizes that nothing has implanted here. So that thick lining comes out like a period. If you want to know more about that, listen to the podcast with Dr. Shaker, who talks about bleeding and what you can do to not bleed and, and all of that. But this is the lining that we're referring to. This is also the lining that we're looking at for women who have bleeding after menopause, because if we see thickened lining or we have bleeding after menopause, we always worry about endometrial cancer or uterine cancer, because it would mean that something is causing growth where it should not be growing, right? Because after menopause, you should not be having a cycle. You shouldn't have that increased lining um, throughout the cycle if there isn't a cycle. And so you really shouldn't have bleeding and we should not see that this is thickened. So if you are after menopause and you've had bleeding, the first thing your healthcare provider should do is a transvaginal ultrasound or order one for you. And then they measure the lining. And if we see that this lining is thick, then we'll want to do a biopsy. Or if we think it's a polyp, we'll want to do a procedure where we remove the polyp and send it to a pathologist to make sure it's not cancer or precancer. This is where the 
the embryo implants and turns into a fetus and grows and then stretches everything from the inside. And this is all muscle, right? This uterine wall is all muscle. And so it stretches and stretches and stretches. And when it's ready to deliver or have a baby, it contracts and contracts and contracts. Similarly, during a period, it contracts to help get that lining out. And that's why cramps can be so uncomfortable because it's a massive muscle creating a huge amount of force. Okay. Uterus, fallopian tubes, ovaries. It's basically kind of how it looks. And then the cervix is right at the top of the vagina. You know, they are kind of connected, but they're really separate entities. Okay. Back to the pelvis. Going to show you the bladder. My second favorite organ. This is the bladder, super stretchy. Again, the urethra. I like to describe it as the bottleneck of the bladder because the bladder stores all the urine throughout the day and you release it through the urethra. And this whole mechanism either works really well because your urethra is working or it doesn't if your urethra is not working. The bladder is really soft. It's stretchy. It does kind of look like this on the inside. It has a dome at the top and it has these really strong muscles, which help to store and also help to urinate when you're ready to urinate because it has to squeeze together to push everything out. Very cool muscle or very cool organ. Very not cool when it's not working for you, right? Extremely inconvenient, but wonderful nonetheless. All right. Your rectum goes to your sigmoid colon, which goes to the rest of your intestines, your stomach, et cetera. So if you have issues here, I'll be sending you to my colorectal surgeon colleagues, to my gastroenterologist colleagues. Um, This is not my specialty unless you have a rectovaginal fistula because I would fix that through the vagina. But if you have an issue here, I'm probably not the best person to tell you about it, but I am here to just let you know this is why it affects the vagina and the uterus and the bladder because everything is so close. All right, I'm going to take this out and show you the pelvic floor muscles. Like I said, these are what's holding everything in inside of your body. They have to be strong. They can't be too strong. If they're too strong, sometimes people get pain. See how large these muscles are? Well, they can cause trigger points or you can get trigger points inside them. A lot of people hold their stress in their pelvic floor, and so they get this literally like a pressure point or a trigger point, just like you might get in your shoulder or in your neck because of stress that can happen, or just because of positions or because of movements that you're doing every day. People who kind of like clench their butts, (laughs) they're stressing their pelvic floor. They're squeezing their pelvic floor muscles. Um, And we can feel this through the vagina. So when I examine somebody who's got pelvic floor pain or has vestibulodynia, I'm really trying to feel their muscles to see if they have trigger points. I'm also looking for different nerves that go through these muscles, which can get trapped and cause a lot of pain. So they're deep in here on both sides. Um, The coccyx is right here, the bone, the very bottom of your bone. And then we've got really important nerves coming through the sacrum that help both with the vagina, the clitoris, and the bladder. So all of these things, again, very interrelated. Pelvic floor rehabilitation is really important after having a baby because these muscles get stretched and some of them actually tear. And you may not know that right away, but if you don't have somebody to see about it or to assess it for you, then I would seek one out because lots of people end up with long-term issues after deliveries and pregnancies, not not even just vaginal deliveries, C-sections too, because of the pelvic floor. And so having someone to be able to assess that for you and help you to rehabilitate it is super important. 
We also work on the pelvic floor when we have issues with the bladder, because again, you can see how these muscles help to keep the bladder where it is or where it should be and help you with the control of urination as well. So, so many issues can happen with the pelvic floor. So keeping it healthy, you know, making sure that you don't have pain there because pain is maybe a sign of something else going on. Seek out help from a pelvic floor physical therapist, see your gynecologist or your women's health provider. Just get as much information about yourself as you can and know yourself, right? Know what's going on with you, know your anatomy, know how things look (laughs) and, um, Never stop paying attention to this part of your body. It's so important. I hope you learned something. Ping me for more questions. Go to the website and put more submissions for other questions. I'd be happy to go through it with you.